Hi, it's Elise Lunan, host of Pulling the Thread. Today's guest is the stunning Kwame Scruggs, who uses drum circles and mythology to lead at-risk Ohio kids to a reimagining of their story. He has much to tell us all about the Joseph Campbell edict, Follow Your Bliss. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, it's Elise Lunan, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity, investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct. I tear up at the drop of a hat. I got another facilitator who tears up quicker than I do. But like we tell the youth, the soul would have no rainbow had the eyes no tears. And so whenever any of the youth tear up or any of the adults, we take the tears and we rub it on the drum so that the, the tears don't go to waste. They'll reverberate, you know, when we, when we hit the drum. Yeah so, yeah, so a lot of it is about getting it, you know, Dealing with your feelings, you know, like like me says and others, if you don't, you know, if you don't deal with your wound, you will continue to wound others, you know, so it's about them identifying how they've been wounded, you know, but but then but then also it's that wound that drives. Okay, so you find out what it is your wound is and that what you know, drive. That's one of the reasons why I do what I do. So says Kwame Scruggs, who was born and raised in Akron, Ohio spent the first 15 years after high school working for the Goodyear Tire Company. And then he took a leap, or decided, in the words of mythologist Joseph Campbell, to follow his bliss, which is to guide kids. He went deep into the works of Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell, and Michael Mead, where he came to understand that myth can transform lives, that seeing yourself in the context of a much larger human story can change everything. Ultimately, he received his PhD in mythological studies and depth psychology. Kwame began working with high school dropouts and other at-risk kids across Ohio in 1998, where he led them through myths to the beat of the drum, reconnecting them to a much higher purpose. He ultimately founded Alchemy, where they work with thousands of youth. In 2012, Alchemy won the President's Committee National Arts and Humanities Youth Program Award, the nation's highest honor for after-school and out-of-school programs, an award Kwame accepted from the First Lady, Michelle Obama, at the White House. In 2020, the Association of Teaching Artists with Lincoln Center Education presented Kwame with their Innovation in Teaching Artistry Award. His work is stunning, particularly in its ability to inspire life-changing moments for kids who come to realize the power inherent within each of them, to see themselves as the hero of their own story and why that story matters. Okay, let's get to our conversation. 
Well, I'm very excited to talk to you, and I've watched a bunch of the videos on your site, but I'm excited to learn everything about you and your work. And I know, I guess we can start there. I know you worked at Goodyear and then followed your intuition or followed your bliss. What was that moment for you where you decided, I'm going to go into depth psychology? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I worked at Goodyear 15 years. I started working when I was 16, but I graduated high school on a Thursday, started working at Goodyear the following Monday. So I worked there 15 years, went to school in the evening. So it took me 15 years to get my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So I had changed my major quite a few times. I majored in commercial art for a number of years and then changed my major quite a few times. <laughs> then finally finished. And then I was on move to New York City. Left Goodyear in 1991 after 15 years. Trust me when I tell you I am not the corporate type. I started in the mailroom and then and I was there nine months, as low as you could go. Mailroom as low as you could go. Which just added to my insecurity when you were, you, you know, you made a little joke, but wow. This added to my insecurity. Then I worked in the advertising department for five years, but just delivering mail. Okay, so I was the mail boy in the advertising department. Then the last nine years, I, I, did, I worked at mold design doing drafting. So they had offered a separation letter. And the first time they offered it, I wasn't done with school, so I didn't take it. The second time they offered it, I said, the next time they offered this, I'm going to be in a position to take it. So I started to take three classes, started going to school in the summer. So then they offered it a third time, and I took it. I had no job in sight. I was on move to New York. It was 1991. My little sister stayed there. Then the recession hit, so I didn't move. I turned down a graduate assistantship. I didn't even know what a graduate assistantship was, okay? And then it was my last week of work, and I'm like, I don't have anything to do, nowhere to go. So I, I called Dr. Fry to see if that was still available. So I accepted the graduate assistantship, wanted to get my master's in counseling, but I took a 70% cut in pay, leaving Goodyear for the graduate assistantship. So I ended up getting my master's in the same thing I got my bachelor's in, was technical education with the emphasis in guidance and counseling. So then I ended up getting a job at University of Akron. I was in the STEP program or Upward Bound, working with middle school and high school students, first generation, primarily urban, urban youth. And they had me like counseling the students. So I went back to school in the evening again to get my master's in counseling. Did all the coursework. All I had to do was my internship in comps and just quit because I was tired of school. I'd been schooled about 20 years at the time in the evening. So then what happened? My father, he ran the neighborhood youth corps. He was like director. So he had literally like a thousand youth and adults working for him. So I, I used to hang out on the playgrounds, you know, every day, like on the West Side of Akron at Krauss School or Schumacher. So all my friends were like working there. And so, so you know, from that, that and like my cousins, I was just always kind of like in, you know, in the community, I'm not gonna say in the community, but but seeing the importance of working with youth. All right. Mm-hmm. So so my girlfriend and we end up getting married, but she was working like in the community, and then she told me for all the things I was into, she said, You should get involved with these people. Well, I was working and going to school, you know, so I didn't have time. And so then when I graduated, then I finally started to volunteer with this group of people working with, with urban youth. So through that, got introduced to uh, an African-based rites of passage, okay, 
brothers from Milwaukee came down, Abdul Bilal and this other brother. And that's where I got introduced into the work of, of well, I got introduced to the African spirituality, but I got introduced to the work of Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell. So he was standing there and he had portable Jung. He was standing at his desk, at his desk, and he had portable Jung standing like vertically and he had his hand on top of it. And he mentioned about Jung. And I, I, I had heard Jung a couple of times and, you know, taking the counseling classes, but really, you know, they're not studying Jung, you know. <laughs> and so I read Portable Jung and I was just blown away by uh, Jung's concepts. I remember that chapter on the phenomenology of self. And I was blown away by by synchronicity and the the anima, the female within, in, in the shadow, in, in the stages of development. And so I just, wow, I started reading more Jung. And then they had this workshop. They brought some other brothers into this workshop. And we were in this basement of this art, of this arched place. They had showed a clip of Joseph Campbell and I was just, wow, I was really engaged and he could, he saw my engagement and he just walked past me and he said, he said, you should read Power Myth. So I read Power Myth. And so when I read Power Myth, Joseph Campbell's Power Myth, I came across that sentence, when you follow your bliss, doors open where you thought there'd be no doors. And at the time I was reading Michael Mead's Men in the Water Life. Also at that time, that's why people can't tell me it ain't a God. <laughs> so also at that time, I'm, I'm like, I'm like counseling students, urban youth, and it's like male youth, and it's like pulling teeth, giving them talk. So I read Mead's Men in the Water Life, and that just blew me away because it, it just helped me to understand so much about my life, you know, through a myth, through a myth. And so I'm like, wow, I'm going to start using this with the youth and the parents because I was also, I also had to coordinate like 10 parent workshops a year at University of Akron, the upper bound program. And I would, I would, I would maybe do three or four of them myself. So I started using myth with the, with the youth and adults. And so, so Campbell's follow your bliss. When you follow your bliss doors, open where you thought to be in the doors. I was 38 years old at the time. I'm staring out my window. And I asked myself, what was my bliss? What was it that I wanted to do? Not what could I do? I said, what did I want to do? And my exact words were, play my drum and tell mythological stories. The internet had just come out because that was around 1997. And so I asked the secretary because I knew because I'm because I knew if I did that, I was gonna have to have some credentials. So I'm like, I'll get a PhD, you know, in mythology. So I asked the secretary to find me a school that offered a PhD. And like I said, the internet had just come out. So all she could find was a PhD program at Ohio State in folklore. And she found some other place somewhere. And I'm like, I don't want for folklore. And I can't remember the other place. So I just said, forget it. Months later, a friend of mine, Bruce Webb, came to my office. And his exact words were, he, he, he threw this magazine on my desk, Common Boundaries. His exact words were, Kwame. There's some interesting ads and articles in here. I'm flipping through it and I see Pacifica Graduate Institute that offers a master's and PhD in mythological studies with an emphasis in depth psychology. And I remember getting <laughs> on the speakerphone and, and calling because it was in California. I'm like, there's no way I can go to California. I got a wife and a four-year-old son. I'm like, there's no way I can do that. But I just wanted to see the kind of classes somebody would take, you know, to get their degree in that. 
that the catalog came to my office, University of Akron, on March the 7th, 3710, New Beginning. I still had a magazine and the catalog in my office. And I'm flipping through that. And I mean, I could, I'm, I'm like, wow, I'm already reading all this stuff. And I literally could not put that catalog down for like three days. I'm going to bed with it and everything. Because I was using myth on my, my job, my job paid for me to go to a conference. So I went out to Santa Barbara, took my wife and son out. They didn't go to conference, we just took them to Santa Barbara with me. While I was there, I visited the campus and I was sitting in this room waiting on an interview and it was white walls and just black and white photos. And I've only felt a spirit a few times in my life and I felt a spirit just come and say, woof, you need to be here. Mm. Well, there you go. I got, I got more stories on that, but there you <laughs> that wasn't well, even a short version, but hey, yeah. And so then, and so then I just started paying attention to my dreams and synchronistic events. Cause you know, how do you justify going from Akron, Ohio to Santa Barbara, California once a month to get a degree in mythology? What in the fuck are you going to do <laughs> with, with with a degree in mythology. So, so that's when I just started paying attention to my dreams, just different synchronistic events. And it was just, it was wild, just apparent that that's what I was supposed to do. So, I'm exceedingly careful about what I buy, not only because I live in a 1500 square foot house with children who sure have an awful lot of stuff, but also because I try to be conscious about everything I use. And sure, I want to use everything I buy. In addition, thanks to a decade in the wellness industry, I am very keyed into product claims and product content. This is why I like Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin, which is clinically backed with high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. I also like their Symbiotic Plus 2, which is a probiotic that's simple and effective. Ritual makes the most elegant multivitamin around. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus has everything you need, specifically nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Their unique beetle oil is so slick it's actually patented, and their capsule has a delayed release design, which is brilliant and essential, to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. And Ritual studies their vitamins, which is not the standard in the industry. Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy. The results, it increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. As most of us are getting far less sun right now, vitamin D supplementation is essential. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified meaning what's on the label is what's in the formula. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. Did I also mention that Ritual is a certified B Corp and female-founded? Nothing makes me happier than these two facts. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash thread. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash thread for 25% off. 
And so then alchemy, as its name implies, works on sort of the meta level and the, the micro level as well, right? It's an organization where you use myth, yeah. drum circles, journaling yeah. with kids, primarily yeah. boys, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they you help them find their you use myth to initiate them to what it is to have the the meaning of their lives and the importance of their existence. Yes, yeah, yeah. To incorporate the character traits of the hero into their own lives, making sacrifices, overcoming obstacles, asking for help. So like incorporating those character traits into their lives so that they can become the hero within their own story. Mm. Can you take us through, and you taught, you mentioned just briefly, like how hard it is to get kids to talk. And I'm sure a lot of the kids that you work with are traumatized, right? Or maybe more shut in. How does that work? Like what, what, what is that experience like for them when they come to that first circle? For the most part, youth can tell when you, when you really care about them, you know? So we're pretty good at creating a safe environment, creating a safe environment for them. So we just emphasize there's no right or wrong answers, you know, it's merely for discussion's sake. So, so they're pretty comfortable right off the rip, pretty much day one, mm. they're pretty comfortable sharing. And, I, and I, another reason why I think they're, they're comfortable sharing because they see, they feel our spirits and they know we care, okay? One of the first things we do is apologize for our generation leaving them on their own, okay? Because 85% of the youth we work with don't have their fathers in their lives. So it was our generation that left them. So that's one of the first things we do. So, so they feel comfortable because they know that we care. And then another reason is because we also share we also share our stories, you know, with them and let them know the mistakes we've made so that so that our mistakes won't, you know, be in vain. Mm-hmm. So pretty much from day one, they talk pretty much from day one, because here again, it's still a myth. That's the thing. You know, if, if you tell somebody they're doing something wrong, it's only quote unquote wrong. It's only natural to become defensive. But if you tell them through a myth, through a story, it removes you from the situation and it allows you to see the situation objectively. And you and then and then you look and you're like, wow, I'm doing some of the same shit he doing. Okay. And you seeing where that's ending up. But by the, you know, the opposite, you start to see, you know, when you're doing the quote unquote right thing where 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 it ends up. So here again, you know, it's just it's just cool. Because um, it removes the, the using a myth removes it from the situation, and also when you're listening to everybody's opinions, you know that allows you to see that rain does not fall on one roof alone, and life is so much about making decisions. And like we tell them, generally speaking, you know the more information you have on a subject, the better decision you're gonna make. You know, so it's about having an open mind. So yeah, yeah. hey, 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 hey. Now you know what all that said. You know, just like in myth. The hero heroine never accomplishes their task alone. They always have assistance from some sort of guide. So I've I've been blessed. I've just been in the right place at the right time with the right people around me. You know, I tell people this, alchemy has been successful in spite of me, not because of me. Okay, and that's the truth. You know, granted, I've done what I had to do, but wow, just my ancestors and I just got so many helpers. So many to assist me. So I've been blessed beyond measure. 
So, and I guess, you know, in the hero's journey, the teacher, the teacher that's needed emerges, right? Or reveals him or herself. And so obviously I'm sure you are that person. And then there are other teachers as well who show up in these kids' lives. Is there one myth that you start with or one story that frequently that that's particularly resonant and can you tell it to us yeah basically it's not so much good because it's most resonant but the the one we start off with first and now and here again i got to give credit to michael mead because i I lived off michael mead's work for about seven years michael mead's been to akron like five times and work with our youth Mm. but the first myth we start off with is the water of life and, and, and now, you know, what our core group of youth, when I say core group, those are the youth we've had like sixth grade through through 12th, or we, we had a one group we started with in fourth grade. We've worked with over 2000 youth in Akron and Cleveland primarily, but our core group has only been about 88. And those are the ones here again, that we've had since fourth grade through 12th or sixth through 12th or ninth through 12th. But the first myth we do is the water of life. And the reason why we do that one first is because in this myth, the king has three sons and the king is sick. And like we say, when the king is sick, the whole village is sick. So we have them identify what's the king in their lives, what's the most important thing in their lives or person or thing in their lives. And if that's not doing well, then nothing is going to do well, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Well, well, the three sons, they sitting on the steps and they're crying because their father, the king, is sick. And this old man walks by and because they're crying, he stops. And he asked them why they're crying. They say, we're crying because our father, the king, is sick. And the old man says, well, I know where a cure is. He said, but it's difficult to get to. And the the myth goes on and on. We do that first for this reason or another. It's because the boys are crying that he stops. Okay, so if you're sitting on the steps, you know, urban youth, we got this persona. Like everything is cool when it's not. And so and so if you acting like everything is cool when it's not, that old man gonna keep walking by. But because you're crying, that's a sign that something is wrong. And and then, and then like we tell them, but you know, because that's a common theme in myth. And like we say, if it's a common theme in myth, chances are it's a common theme in life. Often you see the boys crying in the myth. And so we'll say, but it's okay for boys to cry. We want them to be able to be comfortable enough to let somebody know that something is wrong, okay? Mm-hmm. And in that way, somebody's going to stop and they're going to listen. All right. And then the myth goes on and on. But the second reason why we use this first is because the, the, the first older two brothers think that if they secure the water of life, they'll become their father's favorite and inherit the brother's kingdom. But the youngest son doesn't think that way. And like we say, he was just about your age, just about your age. The older two sons, this dwarf, when they go in and search of the, the water of life, one by, you know, on their own, they run into this dwarf and the dwarf asks them where they're going in such a hurry. And they say, none of your business, you little runt. What business is it of yours? And kick dust in his face. Well, the dwarf casts a magic spell on him. And so far, you know, the further and further that they ride, the mountains enclose upon them and so they, they don't return. So the king remains sick. And when the king is sick, the entire village is sick. But, but when the youngest son is going on the road and he sees the dwarf and the dwarf asks him, where is he going? The youngest son gets off of his horse and he admits that he does not know where he was going. And then the dwarf pretty much gives him everything that he needs. And so that's the reason why we tell that first. The importance of crying, letting somebody know that something is wrong and having the willingness to get off your horse and admit that you do not know where you're going. And when you do that, you're pretty much given assistance. You know, mm. so yeah, so that's the first myth. So 
beautiful. Yeah, so like in school, you know, in school program, we might get through one, two, three myths a year, you know, 25 weeks. In, the, in that seven year period, we'll get through anywhere from like 21 to 25 myths in a, in a seven year period. Yeah. So. And that's because within the drum circle, the kids are sharing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For each myth, for each myth, what we do, we, we tell a portion of a myth to the beat of a drum. We stop at the critical points in the myth and we ask them what resonates with them in the myth. And they all have journals. Everything is black, red, and white. Everything black, red, and white. So they all have their journals and they write down what resonates with them. And then for each section of the myth, we'll have questions that pertain to the myth. Okay, so then they have to go around and answer the question. So they they sit in a circle by age, youngest to oldest. Hmm. Two reasons for that is that one is because it's up to the oldest to look out for the youngest. And the second reason is because you have your space and because you have your space, there's no reason to be jealous or envious of anybody else's space. So, yeah, that's why it takes so long, mm-hmm. because because we go around and each one of them has to respond. To the questions and here again, you know, but there's no right or wrong answers and it just creates discussion. Are these like sixth through ninth graders together or no, basically for the most part, they'll start as a cohort. So we, you know, they're all sixth graders, okay? And then, you know, we'll keep them. So, but then, but then what would happen when we first started off, it was after school program, okay? But then, but then we, we had them sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So they were all in the same grade. But then when they went to high school, they were going to different schools. So we started to have Saturday programs and we would meet on Saturdays for four hours, mm-hmm. 10 months out the year. And so then when we started to, after we went through that first core group, and then we had other youth come in like in sixth grade and so then we would have you know maybe like seniors with 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 sophomores and juniors okay but that but that took that took some years before that to happen so normally like when in school they're all the same grades pulling the thread is sponsored by better help sometimes max my oldest tells me he wants to go in the back of the house and talk What he means by this is purely the verb. He doesn't want to have a conversation. He wants to talk, to vent and unload, to fill me with factoids. Mom, want to know 40 things about acid rain? But more often, to get things off his chest. It's fascinating to listen to him and what he perceives to be injustices, annoyances, and harms. I recognize that in those moments, he doesn't want advice or for me to higher mind him or for me to justify his own feelings to him but simply to be a container for the one-sided stream, to just listen. I recognize what he's doing because I do it every week too, in therapy. I was thinking just the other week that it's rare to find someone who will just listen, maybe point out some patterns or hold me accountable when I say something wild. Wait, Elise, pause. Do you really feel that about yourself? Or why do you think you care about this so much? But aside from these moments of intervention, when my therapist makes me reflect or feel, I'm doing the talking, and it helps me feel so much freer. Thank God for therapy. This is one of the reasons I'm very excited for therapeutic solutions like BetterHelp. They have licensed therapists who are available worldwide and specialize in depression, anxiety, sleep disturbances, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQA issues, grief, and self-esteem. 
BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com PTT today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-T-T. And I think this is true for all kids probably or, you know, the absence of myth culturally or these rites of initiation that we've lost over millennia. And didn't Young say something like, absent mythologizing, we start pathologizing? And probably for these kids who are missing one parent, father, I would imagine not to project, but then there's really no gap. There's this immediacy, right? Like you become the man of the house or there's no, there's a chasm there, right? That needs to be walked through. And is this, I would guess, like gives these kids an opportunity to recognize like you don't just pick up the mantle of manhood, right? It is a process. Yeah. Speaking of that, before I forget, the one thing I'm most proud of with our with our youth, and our oldest youth now are like 29 years old. Mm-hmm. And in, in that first core group, it was 28 of them. And of that, of that 28, 26 of 28 graduated high school on time. 24 of that 26 went to college. Wow. To date, 13 of them have bachelor's degrees. Five of them have master's degrees. One just completed his dual MBA in Jewish doctorate. He's on our board. But the thing, I think they, I'm, I think the majority of them would have been okay anyway without alchemy. But what I'm most proud of, we have about six of them who are fathers. And I'm, I'm friends with them on Facebook. And just to see, matter of fact, which, uh, man, I just saved a picture yesterday because his son is going into third grade. And wow, just the love they have for their children. Okay, because so many of the myths deal with parent child relationships and like I say 80 85 percent of them didn't have their fathers in their lives so that's what I'm most proud of is just to see them being fathers in the in the lives of their lives of their children was saying the worst curse upon the child is the unlived lives of the parents Michael Mead was saying the job of the child is to kill the parent and the job of the parent is to not retaliate okay <laughs> Well, so many myths start with the death of a parent, right? And so many Disney stories, it's like the death of a mother. But is that just the gap? This is through myth, not reality necessarily. But is that that's what creates a space for a child to imagine their own evolution? Is that how you think of it, or what do you think? Why do you think myth is so important? It allows you to to dream and to hope and 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 to see that things can be accomplished that you can slay the dragon and that that you can become the hero within your own story if you if you persevere and you make those sacrifices it was Houston Smith in a book the world's religions he said the best way to train a wild elephant is to yoke it to one that's already been through the process this way the wild one will come to see Though startlingly different, it is still viable. And so then that's why it's so important for the youth who quote unquote make it to come back 
you know, mm-hmm. and give back so that they can see, you know, that it's possible. I think I, I remember finishing my when I finished my dissertation and I did my t- dissertation on the use of myth, you know, to assist in development of urban adolescent males. I remember finishing it. 270 some pages and I remember walking upstairs and then looking out my front door and I'm like you know it's 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 not that difficult <laughs> okay and I was wondering why more urban youth don't make it and then I for me I realized that you know I was living in the suburbs at the time I grew up West Akron on Store Avenue between Lawton and Sloss an all black neighborhood but I mean you know this is back in the 60s. I mean, so it's so, all, you know, we all had fathers and, you know, in our neighborhoods. And here again, Goodyear, you know, the rubber factories. So, I mean, we, 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 I grew up lower middle class. But anyway, looking out my window, not my, my door, screen door, when you're living in the suburbs, you're coming home every day to, you know, quiet neighborhood, manicured lawns, generally speaking, two parents, food and refrigerator. You have tangible evidence every day that you can touch and you see that sacrifices pay off. You're growing up in an urban neighborhood, you don't have that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for them to to think long term. Okay. Uh, because they think in short term because you don't you don't come home to that every day. So you don't see how sacrifices pay off. All right. So that's why it's important for those of us who quote unquote make it to go back and let them know that, hey, you know, they can do the same thing. Like a friend of mine told me, he said, my nickname is Cowboy. And he said, <laughs> he said, he said I, if Cowboy can do it, I know I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, that's how when we see what's possible and when, you know, limiting yeah. beliefs are easy to create when we yeah. have, and we have very few examples and obviously a lot of women recognize that, right. Based on just the misogyny that's built into culture. But when you think culturally too about masculinity and it's interesting, sort of the hero's journey, I love Campbell as well. And I love the hero's journey and I can figure out how to apply it to my life. But so many women can get sort of upset or feel excluded from some of this, these mythologies. I think we can move past that. But culturally, we live in a world awash with toxic masculinity. You know, and you look at what's happening in schools, it's these primarily white, disturbed boys, right? This is, you know, slaughtering other children, etc. Like, do you feel like myth and, and sort of actually... I don't know if you'd call it a more balanced version of masculinity or or what sort of this uber masculine idea that still requires vulnerability, as you mentioned, and asking for help. Do you feel like that has the that that's some sort of missing cultural link that can realign men? Is that a rhetorical question? It's a nesting doll question. They're my specialty. It's like 80 questions, including what is the meaning of life? <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, I think without a doubt, because here again, it removes you from the situation and it allows you to see, you know, what it, you know, what's needed. So you need to balance. You need to balance. And I've yet to, you know, I'm not saying it's not anything else out there, but I've yet to see anything work better. Yeah. Like, 
able to talk and to think than myth, you know, or anything or, or anything in the arts, you know, be it music or art. I just think the arts, that's, you know, not not taking anything away from anything else, you know, but yeah, I think, you know, like I say, to me, myth is to take it. You know, I got a few, I got three anecdotal stories that definitely told me that myth is the ticket. Tell, can you tell us yeah, any or yeah. all of them? Yeah, yeah. One of them, when I first started working with high school dropouts in Akron, when I first started working with them, I had like three different groups. Started off maybe like four youth at a group. By the end of the year, I had about 15 in each group. But it was our it was our last session, <laughs> and I'd probably had it for about twelve weeks, and I did the water of life last. Okay, now these high school dropouts, okay, ages sixteen to like twenty, that whole tough you know persona. We doing the water of life. They took it upon themselves to ask one another. You know, could avoid crying. They took it upon themselves to go around that circle and say, when was the last time they cried? And I remember sitting. I didn't ask the question. They asked it. And I remember sitting there. I said, wow, this myth is the ticket. Okay. Mm -hmm. The second anecdotal story, I was up in Cleveland working for high school dropouts. And this was when Cleveland was ranked as the poorest city in the country. And, and in Akron, they gave me like, only had like 12, 15 per, per group, three, you know, three sessions. In Cleveland, this dude who's running the program trying to get his money's worth, so he would give me 30 high school dropouts at a time, okay, in three different sessions. And I was telling him, I can't do this, you know. So I'm getting nothing done. I'm really getting nothing done. I have them for like an hour and a half. And I remember coming home one night and sleeping and I'm like, this has to change. So so I went to the youth and I, I told him, I said, hey, man, I said, hey, I know I got something to offer y'all. I said, what I'll do is I'll give you the first 15 minutes. You guys can do whatever you want to do. And I'll give you the last 15 minutes. You can do whatever you want to do. Now, this was in the summer. So this was back in the time when it was like freaking black and milds. Okay, that's like when you take the black and miles and then you take the tobacco out and they call it pulling something else out and then put and so that, that that's what they doing. They freaking they black and miles and just talking shit. Okay. Some funny dudes. Just first fifteen minutes there is last fifteen minutes. I said, You give me the hour in between. And then they would do that. They would do that. Well, one day, it was their fifteen minutes, and it was this one dude man sharp brother who was from south central los angeles and he was sitting on the ledge and and during all this chaos he hollered kwame tell us another story and i said wow this myth is the ticket mm -hmm. and then the one other anecdotal story was when i was working at university of akron and i used to run groups for girls too okay now this is way back in the day okay 1999 or whatever I ran into one of the students' moms at the airport. She was urban, you know, urban youth, but she went to a private school. And then she ended up going to like a prestigious high school. Then she ended up going to, she ended up going to Yale. And then she went and, and then she became a, a, a doctor, went to Baylor. But I ran into her mom at the airport. 
And her mom told me whenever she came across some dilemma, she didn't reflect back on her education at these prestigious schools. She reflected back on the myths we told in eighth grade. Okay. Mm. Bam. Myth is the ticket. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now for the most part, I work with adults for the most part. You know, like we say, myths are false on the outside, but true on the inside. Myths are lies which tell the truth. Myths are stories that have never been, but will always be. They say, if you give a person facts and ideas, you enlighten their minds. But if you tell them a story, you touch their souls. But my favorite quote, myths are not just for putting children to sleep, but for waking adults up. Mm. I love working with the youth, but with the adults is really cool because we just have so much more life to reflect upon. Vet bills can be expensive, but Spot Pet Insurance can give you up to 90% cash back on vet bills so you can worry less about high vet bills. Yep, up to 90% cash back on vet bills for unexpected accidents, illness, and even routine care. And with Spot Pet Insurance plans, you can go to any vet you want in the U.S. or Canada. There's no network you need to stick to, so visit your favorite vet and you can save money on expensive vet bills. That's Spot Pet Insurance. It's no wonder Spot is America's favorite pet insurance. Visit SpotPet.com for a free quote today. For all terms, visit SpotPetInst.com slash sample-policy. Spot Pet Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produce Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. This is an independent ad from Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. What's the context that you work with adults? Is it group counseling or are you training or what is it? Primarily, we just doing the myths. We do the myths while the myths do us. Same myths I use with the youth. You know, same, same, for, for the most part, the same questions. And it's all pretty much just basically getting them to know themselves better and, uh, and to ask some of the answers, some of the deeper questions in life, you know. And, and here again, trying to incorporate the character traits of the hero within your own life. Dan Millman, beautiful book, Laws of the Spirit. He says, uh, as humans, we very seldom fail. We merely stop trying. So it's just trying to get people to follow their bliss. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I think you can tell we use a lot of quotes. The one of my favorite quotes is, uh, the space for what you want is filled already with what you settle for instead. Okay. Mm. So it's just about, you know, trying to become the person you're meant to become, which is not easy, you know, in a consumer world. So it's about following your bliss. So what's, in terms of alchemy, and do you, are adults part of alchemy as well now? It's it's not just youth? Like, like right now, I have, matter of fact, this will be the first year that I won't be running any groups. So we'll have eight groups going. I have, my son will be head lead facilitator in one, and we have a lead facilitator, a drum, a, a storyteller, and like a liaison, you know, who was a liaison between the school and the youth, the school and alchemy. So my son has a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in social work from Case. And then we have another brother who, who had worked with alchemy for probably about six years. He has a master's in counseling from Pacifica. So he'll run like three groups. And then we have three women that who, who work with girls. So this will be their fourth year together running groups. So, and we're in our 19th year now, but we've probably had about nine male adults, you know, over those 19 years who have worked 
work with alchemy so so what we want to do is try to train others in our methods so that they can go into the schools but i'm i'm looking to get it started in new york city so oh amazing i was going to ask if that's the plan to sort of take this approach and scale it yeah that's the plan new york city first yeah (laughs) it's interesting i mean clearly you have some data as you have these cohorts going out into the world, that seems pretty stunning. There's no like A-B test for this sort of program or intervention. But, and I know that you've been honored by the White House. Like I know that your community particularly really understands the value of this work. But what do you see happen? Like how do you see these, and, and clearly you're with these kids for a long time, but what what do you see happen? Is there more reflection before action? Is there more more vulnerability? Yes, yeah, 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 both. You can definitely, when you sit down with our youth who've been in the program for like seven years or whatever, you can see that they, their critical thinking skills, you know, are probably above, above average. Because here again, you know, like, like say, you know, when in, in the myths, these myths have been around for thousands, 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 thousands of years. They're a roadmap, you know? And so when you study in the myths, it pretty much, you know, gives you a clue of how to go about life. You, you know, one of the quotes we use <laughs> is uh, to know after knowing cannot be considered to have known. All right. So it's like when you study the myths, you can kind of see what's about to happen. Tell the youth, tell the youth of, of all the quotes you know, that we use, the one I always want them to remember, if they don't remember any other one, it is far easier to suppress the first desire than to satisfy all that follows. Okay. Mm. But yeah, so we see, we see a deeper level of critical thinking. And that's not to say, you, you, you know, we, we, we can't save them all. We don't save them all. We've had a few. Matter of fact, some of our top youth, when I say top, I mean top, went the wrong way. You know, one of them had the highest test scores in Akron Public Schools. Another one had like the highest test scores in his school. But I mean, the streets, it's the streets are calling. And here again, I mean, you know, that's a that's short term gratification. And it's hard to say no to that. So we don't save them all. But, you know, we've had an impact on a few. Well, and even that, you know, alone to have one to have impact on one person. I think I think we live in this culture too that suggests like if you're not changing the world, you know, yeah. that your life is meaningless. Yeah. And the reality is the best that any of us can do is try to change ourselves and maybe yeah. our families. So to impact any community is so significant, I think. And you have all you're sending out boys and men who then can model for their friends yes. Yes. what it is to be Yes. in touch with their feelings, which it seems like that's the greatest crime in a way is this disconnection from being this abandonment of feeling. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So here again, you know, I, I tear up at the drop of a hat. I got another facilitator who tears up quicker than I do. But like we tell the youth, the soul would have no rainbow, had the eyes, no tears. And so whenever any of the youth tear up or any of the adults, we take the tears and we rub it on the drum so that the, the tears don't go to waste. They'll reverberate, you know, when we when we hit the drum. Yeah. So yeah. So a lot of it is about getting it, you know, 
dealing with your feelings. You know, like like me says and others. If you don't, you know, if you don't deal with your wound, you will continue to wound others. You know, so it's about them identifying how they've been wounded. You know, but but then but then also it's that wound that drives. Okay, so you find out what it is your wound is, and that what you know drives. That's one of the reasons why I do what I do. You, you know, talking about we started the whole thing off about the insecurity. Just growing up, you know, my earliest images of childhood, we were colored then, seeing the colored people, you know, walking down. And I'm I'm three, four years old, seeing them walk down the streets and being beaten, you know, by the police with the sticks and the, the dogs and the water hoses. And everything I saw on TV, we were butlers, slaves, clowns. So I really internalized that I was less than due to the color of my skin. And at, at 64 years old, I, I'm, I'm just now getting over that. Mm. So yeah, I still deal with a lot of insecurity. Are you hopeful? Hopeful about what? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it feels like we're at such a strange a moment of time of... We're living in mythic times. Sorry. We are living in mythic times. Living in mythic times. But yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. We have a couple of times we had our youth go around and pick out one. What was the one motif? And for me, it was hope. That was the one motif. For me, it was hope. Myth provides hope. So yeah, I'm hopeful. Am I going, you know, I might not see it in my day, but because it seemed like we're going backwards but but there's definitely you know glimmers of hope it seems like yes there's this concurrent backsliding and then also these strides forward and that at least people seem to be waking up yeah and engaging yes yes in the context of myth this is another big rhetorical question but in the context of myth and these mythic times like, where do you think that we culturally that we are? I, I think it might be possible for us to be in two places at one time. My first thought was we're in the wasteland. Okay. And we still searching for searching for water. But then by, you know, by the other, on the other side, you have, you know, things that, you know, we are able to do that we've never been able to do before. So I think. I, I think they're both present. I think we have one foot in both worlds right now. Okay. That's off the top of my head. No, I think we're in the wasteland too. And I think, but I think it's part of it is will require like a reconceiving of the wasteland as a land of opportunity or a place that we have to go. I mean, obviously, right. That's the, the structure of myth. It's like, you have to keep, you have to move through it yeah, and that part of it feels sort of like some people are in the wasteland and they're trying to get other people <laughs> to join us yeah you know like campbell was saying wow you know that's the thing it's hard to convince somebody of some place they need to go if they don't know that that you know if they don't know they're in the wasteland you know like campbell said wow you know you go and you you go into the forest and you and you gather this 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 gold or whatever and then when you come out back to the community it turns to dust because people don't they don't realize that they need it uh jung was saying jung says that we all walk in shoes too small living diminished lives not in accord with our potential 
You know, mm. I think it was Bud Harris who said, another Jungian analyst who said, we are all captives of normalcy. And we just have so much potential. There's just so many things we could do. And that's what's so sad, wow, to see the youth with, with so much potential and just see them throw it away and see them do it right in front of your face. And you try to warn them, you know, wow, if you keep walking down that path, you're going to end up, you know, where you're walking. Mm. And, 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 you know, not just for youth, but for adults. And that's another thing, you know, with adults, we tell them that, hey, to regret that a journey was not started earlier only delays further its beginning. Beautiful. What does alchemy need? I mean, fin- I'm sure financial partners are always helpful, but are you training more therapists or what do you need? Wow. We need some money. We need some money. <laughs> I would love, I would love here again, New York. I would love to just get, start off with like 12 people to train 12 people in our method, you know, to be able to go into the schools. If we could just, if we could, you know, not just alchemy, you know, a lot of nonprofits, if you could just get the money so that you could, you spend so much time trying to raise money. When you get the money, you tired, you're too tired to do the work. <laughs> you know, seriously, seriously, seriously. Okay. But yeah. You need to have, stop making people jump through all these hoops, especially when you've already proven yourself. Okay. So, yeah. so yeah, that's what we need. We need somebody to just say, Hey, here's some money. Go do what you do. And I, I mean, we, we got we, we got the data, you know, you're talking about data. We had Kent State doing our data for years and and, and, and some of the education initiative here in Akron doing our data. So, I mean, you know, the thing that we do the, well, for me, it's unique, it's engaging and most importantly, it works. So I would love to be able to just somebody just, hey, give me give me a, you know, and then not even a lot of money. Don't even need a lot. Right. Okay. Just give me this money. And I mean, we got we, we, we got our financial piece. You can see where the money's going. Give me the money. Let me do the work. Train these people to go and change lives. Okay. I guarantee you that it's going to change lives. Okay. Let's manifest it. Well, Kwame makes me want to keep a quote book because he is full of incredible and insightful sayings. And there's nothing like a single statement when it can summarize so much of the human experience, such a gut punch. And there's obviously some feminist backlash to Joseph Campbell and this idea of myth and the hero's journey and the way that it has historically been gendered. But in the same way that Rabbi Steve Leader push me to rethink (laughs) my (laughs) aversion to religion that can feel misogynistic in the way that it was canonized millennia ago. Myth is for all of us. It knows no gender. And I think that the core steps are so critical for contextualizing our lives. And in a way, it's we think about this moment that we're in right now And that's really what we're missing is the hero, the hero's journey and thinking through how our own lives are part of something so much 
bigger. But it's that zooming in and out that I think is so essential to being human, to be able to locate yourself on a you are here sticker on a map and to recognize that there are paths all around you, that we're each on our own path, but that they're part of a collective whole and that your life is one of those paths, that it has meaning um, and that that in turn can be a model for someone else of what's possible. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find show notes and full transcripts of the episodes at theelisepodcast.com. Please sign up for my newsletter, I promise I won't spam you, or follow me on Instagram at Elise Lunen to get updates on new episodes. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Please support them the way they support this podcast. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow Pulling the Thread, available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts, i.e. wherever you're listening right now. I also want to thank you in advance for sharing any episodes with friends you think might like the show because that is how podcasts grow. I want to give a shout out to Phil Svitek, Lauren LaGrasso, Serena Reagan, Mary-Kate McDonough, and the entire Cadence 13 team for producing these episodes, and to Valero Duvall for my key art. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week. High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next student visionaries of the year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Most importantly, this campaign is an opportunity for high schoolers to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Sound like something your child might be interested in? You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at LLS dot org slash students. That's LLS dot org slash students.